16. Ago. Punch. O.R. The London C.H.A.R.I.V.A.R.I. Volume 1. For the week ending August 21st, 1841. The Wife Catchers. A Legend of My Uncle's Boots. In four chapters. Chapter I.D. The conversation now subsided into private and confidential whispers, from which I could learn that Miss O'Brannigan had consented to quit her father's halls with Terence that very night, and, before the priest, to become his true and lawful wife. It had been previously understood that those of the guests who lived at a distance from the lodge should sleep there that night. Nothing could have been more favorable for the designs of the lovers, and it was arranged between them, that Miss Biddy was to steal from her chamber into the yard, at daybreak, and apprise her lover of her presence by flinging a handful of gravel against his window. Terence's horse was warranted to carry double, and the lady had taken the precaution to secure the key of the stable where he was placed. It was long after midnight before the company began to separate, cloaks, shawls, and tippets were called for, a jet of punch of extra strength was compounded, and a dock and eyes of the steaming beverage administered to every individual before they were permitted to depart. At length the house was cleared of its guests, with the exception of those who were to remain and take beds there. Amongst the number were the haberdasher and your uncle. The latter was shown into a chamber in which a pleasant turf fire was burning on the hearth, a drink at the door, a farewell cup. Although Terence's mind was full of sweet anticipations and visions of future grandeur, he could not avoid feeling a disagreeable sensation arising from the soaked state of his boots, and calculating that it still wanted three or four hours of daybreak. He resolved to have us dry and comfortable for his morning's adventure. With this intention he drew us off, and placed us on the hearth before the fire, and threw himself on the bed not to sleep he would sooner have committed suicide but to meditate upon the charms of Miss Biddy and her thousand pounds. But our strongest resolutions are overthrown by circumstances the ducking, the dancing, and the potine, had so exhausted Terence, that he unconsciously shut, first, one eye, then the other and, finally, he fell fast asleep, and dreamed of running away with the heiress on his back, through a shaking bog, in which he sank up to the middle at every step, his vision was, however, suddenly dispelled by a smart rattle against his window, a moment was sufficient to recall him to his senses he knew it was Miss Betty's signal, and, jumping from the bed, drew back the cotton window curtains and peered earnestly out, but though the day had begun to break, it was still too dark to enable him to distinguish any person on the lawn. In a violent hurry he seized on your humble servant, and endeavored to draw me on, but, alas, the heat of the fire had so shrank me from my natural dimensions, that he might as well have attempted to introduce his leg and foot into a needle skin, flinging me in a rage to the further corner of the room. He essayed to thrust his foot into my companion, which had been reduced to the same shrunken state as myself. In vain he tugged, swore and strained, first with one, and then with another, until the stitches in our sides grinned with perfect torture, the perspiration rolled down his forehead his eyes were staring, his teeth set, and every nerve in his body was quivering with his exertions but still he could not force us on, what's to be done, he ejaculated in despairing accents, a bright thought struck him suddenly, that he might find a pair of boots belonging to some of the other visitors, with which he might make free on so pressing an emergency. It was but sending them back, with an apology for the mistake, on the following day, with this idea he sallied from his room, and groped his way downstairs to find the scullery, where he knew the boots were deposited by the servant at night. The scullery was detached from the main building, and to reach it it was necessary to cross an angle of the yard, 
Terence cautiously undid the bolts and fastenings of the back door, and was stealthily picking his steps over the rough stones of the yard, when he was startled by a fierce roar behind him, and at the same moment the teeth of Tozer, the great watchdog, were fastened in his nether garments, though very much alarmed, he concealed his feelings, and presuming on a slight previous intimacy with his assailant, he addressed him in a most familiar manner, calling him, poor fellow, and, old Tozer, explained to him the ungentlemanly liberty he was taking with his buckskins, and requested him to let go his hold, as he had quite enough of that sport, Tozer was, however, not to be talked out of his private notions, he foully suspected your uncle of being on no good design, and replied to every remonstrance he made with a growl and a shake, that left no doubt he would resort to more vigorous measures in case of opposition, afraid or ashamed to call for help, Terence was kept in this disagreeable state, nearly frozen to death with cold and trembling with terror, until the morning was considerably advanced, when he was discovered by some of the servants, who released him from the guardianship of his surly captor, without waiting to account for the extraordinary circumstances in which he had been found, he bolted into the house, rushed up to his bedchamber, and, locking the door, threw himself into a chair, overwhelmed with shame and vexation, but poor Terence's troubles were not half over, the beautiful heiress, after having discharged several volleys of sand and small pebbles against his window without effect, was returning to her chamber, swelling with indignation, when she was encountered on the stairs by Tibbins, who, no doubt prompted by the demon of jealousy, had been watching her movements, he could not have chosen a more favorable moment to plead his suit, her mortified vanity, and her anger at what she deemed the culpable indifference of her lover, made her eager to be revenged on him, it required, therefore, little persuasion to obtain her consent to elope with the haberdasher, the key of the stable was in her pocket, and in less than ten minutes she was sitting beside him in his gig, taking the shortest road to the priests. I cannot attempt to describe the rage that Terence flew into. As soon as he learned the trick he had been served, he vowed to be the death of Tibbins, and it is probable he would have carried his threat into effect, if the haberdasher had not prudently kept out of his way until his anger had grown cool. So, said I addressing the narrator, you lost the opportunity of figuring at Miss Biddy's wedding? Yes replied the wife-catcher, but Terence soon retrieved his credit, for in less than three months after his disappointment with the heiress, we were legging it as his wedding with Miss Debbie Doulon, a greater fortune and a prettier girl than the one he had lost, and, by the by, that reminds me of a funny scene which took place when the bride came to throw the stocking who, 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 here my friends, the boots, burst into a long and loud fit of laughter, while I ignorant of the cause of their mirth looked gravely on, wondering when it would subside, instead, however, of their laughter lessening, the cachinations became so violent that I began to feel seriously alarmed, my dear friends, said I, who, 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 shouted the pair, the excessive mirth may be dangerous, a peal of laughter shook their leathern sides, and they rolled from side to side on their chair, fearful of their falling, I put out my hand to support them, when a sense of acute pain made me suddenly withdraw it, I started, opened my eyes, and discovered that I had laid hold of the burning remains of the renowned wife catchers, which I had in my sleep placed upon the fire, as I gazed mournfully upon the smoking relics of the ancient allies of our house, I resolved to record this strange adventure, but you know I never had much taste for writing, Jack, so I now confide the task to you, as he concluded, 
My uncle raised his tumbler to his lips, and I could perceive a tear sparkling in his eye a genuine tribute of regard to the memory of the venerated wife catchers. Correspondence extraordinary, wrote Paget to Pollen, with face bright as brass. T'other day in the town hall you meant I on an ass, now, for family reasons, I'd like much to know, if on me you intended that name to bestow, my lord, says Jack Pollen, believe me, tease true, I'd be sorry to slander a donkey or you, being grateful, says Paget, I'd ask you to a lunch, but just, Sir John, tell me, did you call me Punch, in wit, Punch is equaled, says Pollen, my few, in naming him, therefore, I couldn't mean you. Thanks. Thanks. To bear malice. Save page it. I'm loath to answers I've got. And I'm charmed with them both. Epigrams. 1. The cause. Lisette has lost her wanton wells what secret care consumes her youth. And circumscribes her smiles. A speck on a front tooth. 2. Pride. Fit small. Who drinks with knights and lords. To steal a share of notoriety. Will tell you. In important words. He mixes in the best society, English and American produce, we find, by the times of Saturday, the British teasel crops in the parish of Melksham had fallen entirely to the ground, and from their appearance denote a complete failure. Another paragraph in the same paper speaks quite as discouragingly of the appearance of the American teasel at the Haymarket. Nursery Education Report. Number 2. The Y-O-R-H-Y-D-H-M-I-C-A-L alphabet. To be said or sung by the infant princess. A stands for aristocracy, a thing I should admire, see beginneth cabinet, where mama keeps her tools, he beginneth England, that grant at the supplies, f doth stand for foreigners, whom I should patronize, h beginneth honors that island ribbons, stars, and garters, j stands for Johnny Bull, a soft and easy kind of man, l's for Mrs. Lilly, who was once a nurse of mine, n stands for a nobleman, who's always good and great, o is for the opera, that I should only grace, accuse the quarter's salary, for which true patriots long, S stands for the speech, which money learns to say, T doth stand for taxes, which the people ought to pay, V is for Victoria, the best of 41, X is for the treble X lily drank three times a day, and YZ is for the wise heads, who admire all I say, the gentleman's own book, a complete encyclopedia of all the requisites, decorative, educational, and R-E-C-R-E-A-D-I-V, for gentility, introduction, a popular encyclopedia of the requisites for gentility a companion to the toilet, the salons, the queen's bench, the streets, and the police stations, has long been felt to be a desideratum by everyone aspiring to good breeding, the few works which treat on the subject have all become as obsolete as, hot cockles, and, crambo, the jest of Kinhorn, the, Greek, B-A-S-I-L-I-K-O-N, of Ken Jamie, Peacham's Complete Gentleman, The Poesy of Princely Practice, Dame Juliana Berner's Book of Street Albans, and The Jewel for Gentry, are now confined to bibliopoles and bookstalls. Even more modern productions have shared the same fate. The whole duty of man has long been consigned to the trunk maker. Chesterfield's letters are now bad letters, and the young man lights his cigar with his best companion. It is true that in lieu of these, several works have emanated from the press adapted to the change of manners, and consequently admirably calculated to supply their places, we need only instance, the Flash Dictionary, the Book of Etiquette, a guide to the comes and cribs of London, the whole art of tying the cravat, and, the handbook of boxing, 
but it remains for us to remove the disadvantages which attend the acquirement of each of these noble arts and sciences in a detached form. The possessor of an inquiring and genteel mind has now to wander for his politeness to Pater Nostro, to Pierceon, for his knowledge of men and manners, and to Owen Swift, for his knightly accomplishments, and exercises of chivalry, book of etiquette, longman and company. We undertake to collect and condense these scattered radii into one brilliant focus, so that a gentleman, by reading his own book, may be made acquainted with the best means of ornamenting his own, or disfiguring a policeman's person how to conduct himself at the dinner table, or at the bar of Bow Street how to turn a compliment to a lady, or carry on a chaff with a cabman. These are high and noble objects. A wider field for social elevation cannot well be imagined. Our plan embraces the enlightenment and refinement of every scion of a noble house, and all the junior clerks in the government offices from the happy recipient of an allowance of 50L per month from the governor, to the dashing acceptor of a salary of 30 shillings a week from a highly respectable house in the city from the gentleman who occupies a suite of apartments in the Clarendon, to the lodger in the three-pair back, in an excessively back street at Summers Town, with these incentives. We will proceed at once to our great and glorious task, confident that our exertions will be appreciated, and obtain for us an introduction into the best circles. Prelude. We trust that our polite readers will commence the perusal of our pages with a pleasure equal to that which we feel in sitting down to write them, for they call up welcome recollections of those days we are literary and seedy now, when our coats emanated from the laboratory of Stultz, our pantaloons from Boatmaster, and our boots from Hobby whilst our glossy beaver now, alas, supplanted by a rusty goss was fabricated by no less a thatcher than the illustrious Moore. They will remind us of our Corifian conquests at the opera, our triumphs in Rotten Row, our dinners at Long's and the Clarendon, our nights at Offlace and the Watch House, our glorious runs with the Beaufort Hounds, and our exhilarating runs from the Sheriff's officers, our months sporting on the Heathery Moors, and our day rule when rusticating in the bench. We are in the sear and yellow leaf. There is nothing green about us now. We have put down our seasoned hunter, and have mounted the wing Pegasus. The brilliant burgundy and sparkling hawk no longer mantle in our glass, but Barclays beer nectar of gods and coal effers mixed with Hippocrene the muses, cold without, is at present our only beverage. The grouse are by us undisturbed in their bloomy mountain covert. We are now content to climb Parnassus and our garret stairs. The Albany that sanctuary of erring bachelors, with its guardian beagle, are to us but memories, for we have become the denizens of a roomy attic ring the top bell twice, and are only saluted by unhebe of all work and our printer's devil, on dress in general, all habit fatal moin, it has been laid down by Brummel, Bolluer, and other great authorities, that, the tailor makes the man, and he would be the most daring of skeptics who would endeavor to controvert this axiom, your first duty, therefore, is to place yourself in the hands of some distinguished Schneider, and from him take out your patent of gentility for a man with an elegant coat, to his back is like a barat sight endorsed with a good name, whilst a seedy or ill-cut garment resembles a protested note of hand labeled, no effects. It will also be necessary for you to consult the monthly book of fashions, and to imitate, as closely as possible, those elegant and artistical productions of the gifted baron which show to perfection, what a piece of work is man, how noble in reason, how infinite in faculties, and see, you must not consult your own knees and taste if you have any, for nothing is so vulgar as to suit your convenience in these matters, as you should remember that you dress to please others, 
and not yourself. We have heard of some eccentric individuals connected with noble families, who have departed from this rule, but they invariably paid the penalty of their rashness, being frequently mistaken for men of intellect, and it should not be forgotten, that any exercise of the mind is a species of labor utterly incompatible with the perfect man of fashion, the confiding characters of tailors being generally acknowledged, it is almost needless to state, that the faintest indication of seediness will be fatal to your reputation, and as a presentation at the insolvent court is equally fashionable with that of St. James, any squeamishness respecting your inability to pay could only be looked upon as a want of moral courage upon your part, and the subject of dress in particular will form the subject of our next chapter, if I had a thousand a year, a bachelor's lyric, if I had a thousand a year, how my heart at the bright vision glows, I should never be crusty or queer, but all would be colored a rose, I'd pay all my debts, though you tray, and of duns and embarrassments clear, life would pass like a bright summer day, if I had a thousand a year, I'd have such a spicy turnout, and a horse of such metal and breed whose points not a jockey should doubt, when I put him at top of his speed, on the footboard, behind me to swing, a tiger so small should appear, all the knobs should protest, twas the thing, if I had a thousand a year, a villa I'd have near the park, from town just an appetite ride, with fairy-like grounds, and a bark or its miniature waters to glide, there oft, neath the pale twilight star, or the moonlight and ruffled and clear, my meerschaum I'd smoke, or cigar, if I had a thousand a year, I'd have pictures and statues, with tastes such as ladies and blushing might view in my drawing and dining rooms placed, with many a gem of vertu. My study should be on a fair the heart of a bookworm to cheer all compact, with its easy spring chair, if I had a thousand a year, a cellar I'd have quite complete with wines, so recherche, well stored, and jovial guests often should meet round my social and well-garnished board, but I would have a favorite few, to my heart and my friendship more dear, and I'd marry I mustn't tell who if I had a thousand a year, with comforts so many, what more could I ask of kind fortune to grant, humph. A few olive branches say for as pets for my old maiden aunt. Then, with health, there you'd be naught to append. To perfect my happiness here, for the utile at Dulac would blend. If I had a thousand a year, my uncle Bucket. The Buckets are a large family. I am one of them. My uncle Job Bucket is another. We, the Buckets, are atoms of creation. Yet we, the Buckets, are living types of the immensity of the world's inhabitants. We illustrate their UPS and downs their fullness and their emptiness their risings and their falling and all the several goods and ills, the world's denizens in general, and buckets in particular, are undoubted heirs to. It hath ever been the fate of the fullness of one bucket to guarantee the emptiness of another, and mark the moral. The rising bucket is the richly stored one, its sinking brother's attributes, like Grayshano's wit, being an infinite deal of nothing. Hence the adoption of our name for the wooden utensils that have so aptly fished up this fact from the deep well of truth. There be certain rods that attract the lightning. We are inclined to think there be certain buckets that invite kicking. And our uncle Job was one of them. He was birched at school for everybody but himself. For he never deserved it. He was plucked at college because some practical joker placed a utensil. Bearing his name. Outside the door of the examining master and our Uncle Job Bucket being unfortunately present, laughed at the consequent abrasion of his, the examining master's, shins, he was called to the bar, his first case was, James Smith versus James Smith, no relations, his client was the female, she had been violently assaulted, 
he mistook the initial pleaded warmly for the opposing Smith, and glowingly described the disgraceful conduct of the various Virago illegal advisor ever had the pain of speaking of. The verdict was, as he thought, on his side. The lady favored him with a living evidence of all the attributes he was pleased to invent for her benefit, and left him with a proof impression of her nails upon his face, carrying with her, by way of souvenir, an ample portion of the skin thereof, had the condensed heels of all the horses whose subscription hairs were wrought into his wig, with one united effort presented him with a pick in his abdominals. He could not have been more completely knocked out of time than he was by the mistake of those cursed initials. What about Smith? Sent him out of court. At length he cursed the bar and declined. He next turned his attention to building. Things went on swimmingly during the erection so did the houses when built. The proprietorship of the ground was disputed our Uncle Job had paid the wrong person. The buildings were knocked down by Mr. Robbins, and the individual who had benefited by the suppository honorary ownership of the acres let on the building lease, bought the lot, and sent Uncle Job a peculiarly well-worded legal notice, intimating, his respectable presence would, for the future, approximate to a nuisance and trespass, and the job would be proceeded against as the statutes directed, if guilty of the same. It is impossible to follow him through all his various strivings to do well, he commenced a small beer brewery, and the thunder turned it all into vinegar, he tried vinegar, and nothing on earth could make it sour, he opened a milk walk, and the parish pump failed, he invented a waterproof composition there was fourteen weeks of drought, he sold his patent for two and sixpence, and had the satisfaction of walking home for the next three months wet through, from his gossamer to his side even Wellington's, now literally, from their hydraulic powers, pumps, he lost everything but his heart, and Uncle Bucket was all heart, a red cabbage couldn't exceed it in size, and, like that, it seemed naturally predestined to be everlastingly in a pickle, still it was a heart, you were welcome to his venison when he had it his present Savaloy was equally at your service, he must have been remarkably attached to facetious elderly poultry of the masculine gender, as his invariable salute to the tenants of his heart's core was, How are you, my jolly old cock? Coats became threadbare, and defunct trousers vanished, waistcoats were never replaced, gossamers floated down the tide of time, boots, deprived of all hope of future renovation by the loss of their souls, moldered in obscurity, but the clear voice and chuckling salute were changeless as the statutes of the Medes and Persians, the price and size of penny tarts or the accumulating six and eight pences gracing a lawyer's bill. Poor Uncle Job Bucket's fortune had driven him down the rough tide of power. When first and last we met, all was blighted save the royal heart, and yet, with shame we own the truth. We blushed to meet him. Why, I, why, we own the weakness. The heart, the goodly heart, was almost cased in rags. Puppy, right, reader, right, we were puppy. Lash on. We richly deserve it, but, consider the fearful influence of worn-out cloth. Can a long series of unchanging kindness balance patched elbows? Are not cracked boots receipts in full four hours of anxious love and care? Does not the kindness of a life fade, like the baseless fabric of a vision, before the withering touch of poverty's stern stamp? Have you ever felt, eh? What? No stuff. Yes. Yes go on. Go on. We will. We blushed for our uncle's coat. His heart. God bless it, never caused a blush on the cheek of man, woman, child, or even angel, to arise for that, we will confess, let's see, we are sixty now we don't look so much, but we are sixty, 
Well, be it so. We were handsome once as this vanity at sixty. If so, our gray hairs are a hatchment for the past. We were swells once. Hurrah. We were. Stop. This is indecent. Let us become our action was like the proceeding of the denuder of well-sustained and thriving pigs. He who deprives them of their extreme obese of salvage vulgo. We cut it that. Bond Street was cherished by our smile. And Randall always rendered happy by the exhibition of our symmetry. Behold us hessioned in our haunts. Touching the tips of well-gloved fingers to our passing friends. Then fancy the opening and shutting of our back. Just as Lord Adolphus Nutmeg claimed the affinity of kid to kid. To find our other hand close prisoner made by our uncle Bucket. How are you, old cock? Who's that? Eh? A lunatic. My lord what lies men tell. And dangerous. Good day. Exit my lord. This way. We followed our uncle the end of a blind alley gave us a resting place. Bravo. Exclaimed our uncle Bucket. This is rare. I live here dine with me. A mob surrounded us we acquiesced. In hopes to reach a place of shelter. All right. Exclaimed he of the maternal side. Stand three halfpence for your feed. We shall the necessary out he dived into a baker's shop the mob increased he highly dust from the door. Thank God. This is your house. Then. Only my kitchen. Lend a hand. A dish of steaming baked potatoes. Surmounted by a fractional rib of consumptive beef. Was deposited between the lemon colored receptacles of our thumbs and fingers an outcry was raised at the courts and we were almost mad. Turn to the right three pair back cut away while it's warm. And make yourself at home. I'll come with the beer. We wished our had been in that beer. We rushed out the gravy basted our pants. And greased our hessians. Lord Adolphus Nutmeg appeared at the entrance of the court. As we proceeded to our announced destination. Great God. Exclaimed his lordship. The bedlamite has pinned him. A peal of laughter rang in our ears we rushed into the wrong room. And our uncle Job Bucket picked us. The shattered dish. The reeking potatoes. And dislodged beef. From the inmost recesses of a wicker cradle. Where. Spite the thumps and entreaties of a distracted parent. We were all engaged in overlaying a couple of remarkably promising twins. We can say no more on this frightful subject. But once again we met. Our pride wanted cutting. And fate appeared determined to perform the operation with a jagged saw. Tom Rackett died. His disease was infectious, and we had been the last person to call upon him. Consequently we were mournful. Thick coming fancies brooded in our brain all things conspired against us. The day was damp and wretched the church bells emulated each other in announcing the mortalities of earth's bike as each told its tale of death. We thought upon our absent friend. A funeral approached. We were still more gloomy. Could it be his? If so, what were his thoughts? Could ghosts but speak? What would he say? The coffin was coeval with us sheets were rubicon compared to our cheeks. A low deep voice sounded from its very bowels the words were addressed to us they were. Take no notice, it's the first time, it will soon be over. Will it? We groaned. Yes, I'm glad you know me. I'll tell you more when I come back. Gracious powers, do you expect to return? Certainly. We'll have a screw together yet. There's room for us both in my place. I'll make you comfortable. The cold perspiration streamed from us. Was there ever anything so awful? Here was an unhappy subject threatening to call and see us at night. And then screw us down and make us comfortable. Will you come? Exclaimed the dad again. Never. We vociferated with fearful energy. Then let it alone. I didn't think you'd have cut me now. But wait till I show you my face. Horror of horrors. 
The Paul moved along white face peered from it. We gasped for breath, and only felt new life when we recognized our Uncle Jaw Bucket, as the author of the conversation, and one of the bearers of the coffin. He had turned mute, but that was a failure no one ever died in his parish after his adopting that profession. He has been seen once since in the backwoods of America. His fate seemed still to follow him, and his good temper appeared immortal. His situation was more peculiar than pleasant. He was seated on a log, 300 miles from any civilized habitation, smiling blandly at a broken axe his only one, the half of which was tightly grasped in his right hand, pointing to the true and iron in the trunk of a huge tree, the first of a thriving forest of 50 acres he purposed felling, and, thus occupied, a solitary traveler passed our Uncle Jaw Bucket, serene as the melting sunshine, and thoughtless as the wild insect that sported round the owner of the lightest of light hearts. Peace be with him. F.U.S.B.O.S. Important discovery. A gentleman of the name of Stuckey has discovered a new filtering process, by which a stream from a most impure source may be rendered perfectly translucent and fit for all purposes. In the name of our rights and liberties, in the name of duty and our country, we call upon the proper authorities to have this invaluable apparatus erected in the lobby of the House of Commons, and so, by compelling every member to submit to the operation of filtration, cleanse the house from its present accumulation of corruption, though we defy Stuckey himself to give it brightness, a thing and fit to a pea pair, new honors heaped on Ruesa Graves' name, a cuckold's horn is then the trump of fame, fine arts, external exhibitions, under this head it is our intention, from time to time, to revert to numberless free exhibitions, which, in this advancement of education age, have been magnanimously founded with a desire to inculcate a knowledge of and disseminate, by these liberal means, an increased taste for the arts in this vast metropolis, we commence not with any feelings of favoritism, nor in any order of appeal, 